Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like great banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hi everyone, welcome to The Voices in Our Heads My name is Christina Marie Hutchinson I hope you're well and safe and okay This is a very important time in the history of the United States of America. And it's very, whoo, it's a time. There's so many things that I want to talk about and raise awareness over in the remaining years that I have left on this earth. But right now, and for the foreseeable future, we need to put racism against black people at the top of the list. And police brutality and talk about different ways that we can police in America or defund the police in America. Just let that idea sit before you email me and be like, shut the fuck up. Just let it sit. I'll give you some resources to ponder. Kevin's looking like he's going to shit on the floor. Kevin, don't shit on the floor. You were just outside. I, 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 I know we have an opportunity, everybody listening right now, we have an opportunity to end the disgusting legacy of white supremacy that the country was built on in the first place. We have the opportunity to, to end the legacy of hatred, of racism, of self-hate. And I know that the odds of all of those things fully going away are very slim but I choose to be optimistic and I have the luxury to be choose to be optimistic so hopefully my optimistic words will resonate help I don't know whatever 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 they do um Corinne and I were marching this past weekend on Saturday we marched together And on Sunday, I went down to Union Square because it was really important for me to be there firsthand because this is, God, a tale as old as time, but the news shapes narratives. The news wants you to be afraid and the news, no matter what it is, no matter if it's Fox News, they do a real good job of it over there, or CNN with the death counts of the coronavirus at the top right-hand corner. You know, we could do without that, right? So I, I, and, and I, and I've been reading up about the protests and what's happening. I'm like, it's happening in my city. I want to be there and I want to see what's happening and I, firsthand so that I have my own account that I can be absolutely certain of what I'm experiencing while also knowing that it's not that way in all parts of Manhattan or in all parts of the five boroughs or in all parts of the country. But whoa, motherfuckers, it's time to wake up if you haven't woken up yet, okay? And to white people, that I'm not saying that you don't have your own problems. White people are can be very sensitive and it's, whoo, that's infuriating. It must be way infuriating if you're a person of color, of any color that's not white. The sensitivity of white people, just guys, white people, you have it in you to get over it, Okay. You have it in you to listen. You have it in you to be compassionate, but you need to find it. And I know, Kevin, why are you digging the couch? I'm very, very dense right now. I'm just, I'm so sad and I'm so angry. I'm so, um, this is, these are really important emotions for everybody to be feeling right now because that's how you get change. You don't go, hey, can we please have a change to the system? And then that's how it happens. That's never historically how it works. And the United States of America, I hope everybody knows this, is built on slavery, is built on people coming from Africa, being, coming from Africa, being kidnapped and enslaved and building the country. And then... When slavery ended, we had jails to basically take the place of that system. Don't take my word for it. Research it. Research it. If you're a white person, it is your duty to research. And I'm going to be reading some articles um, in this episode, talk about some ways we can help. 
I'm not going to try to make any of this funny because I don't fucking feel like it. And I know that it's a comedian's job to make people laugh in these times, especially in a time of duress. But I don't I don't have the funny in me right now. I will. But not right now. OK. And I also think it's important because I'm seeing, you know, I'm very I've been on social media like everybody has just observing people, observing what's being said and, and what's. And, and, I, and I've seen a couple, some white people getting on their high horse being like, guys, black lives matter. Like, I don't know if you like know that. Yeah. You know, just cons- really take into consideration how you're showing your activism. Because it's really important that you show your activism in ways that are helpful. And white people are, we're going to fuck up and we're going to, you're going to say something that's insensitive or get, and if you're told that, listen, no one is perfect. But the best you can do is try your best. Shout out to my boy, Don Miguel Ruiz. Always do your best, baby. Always do your best. Don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. It's hard. It's hard to not make assumptions right now. But don't. Oh, God. I just, I don't, I just, I feel like the human soul is not built to experience unchecked power because it, 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 let's flourish the worst part of humanity the worst part of the ego the worst part of the human spirit because there's beautiful parts and there's bad parts but the worst parts come out when power goes unchecked and it does the craziest shit to the ego and it turns you into a murderer or it turns you into just just it just does terrible things to humanity this is a tweet that i thought was very poignant by a man named dana vivian white at Dana Vivian White. Um, and he tweeted, being black is not exhausting at all. White people are exhausting. That's what they do. Exhaust others. Exhaust resources. Exhaust themselves and their obsession with dominance. Whiteness is exhaustion. And I read that. I'm like, right? Because when I recorded last week's episode and I was talking about Amy Cooper, and I'm like, what the fuck is it? Was he some white ladies? I'm like, what the fuck? This, I recorded the episode before I, I knew about... Um all the things that surface about how George Floyd was murdered by a murderer that was in charge and given power and able to act as a police officer. So disgusting. But it's like, why are, why are white people so exhausting and so obsessed with, I have power. Like, what are you so fucking afraid of white people? What are you afraid of? And I don't know the answer to that because, and I know just as you can't generalize any group of people, Obviously, it's not all white people, but there's this kind of white person that I'm like, what the fuck is up your asshole? What? What is it? I don't get it. I don't get it, but I do think that they that those types of white people don't, they don't, they're not in their body. They're not present in the moment. They're, they're vibrating and buzzing out their ears and they're just like, ah! and then any little poke or any little excuse me is like, what do you want? You know what I mean? We've all been in a, like a department store and they're in front of this, behind this like white lady in line that's, and I, and I can't say that I've never been this white lady because I've been on the edge for sure in public, just like stressed out over so many things that I made in my mind. Because you choose your own thoughts. You choose to stay with your own thoughts as well. It takes a lot of work to leave your thoughts if you're really stressed out. It takes a lot of work to say, hey, I need to ground myself. You know what? I take that back. It doesn't take that much work. It takes just knowing and being self-aware. That's all it fucking takes. But that that white lady behind you in line of J.C. Penny, that's like, you know, if one of the pieces of clothing that she was holding in her hands, waiting to check out, was falling over, like, hey, ma'am, excuse me. What? Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you exhausting yourself? You, you are, you are, you, whatever you're doing in your life, whatever you're telling yourself in your head, the voices in your head are such that there is a tornado brewing, boo boo. And you need to address that. Here's a clip. Um, I follow Erica Badu on Twitter or on Instagram, and she played a clip of an interview, an old interview from Toni Morrison, who's a novelist, essayist, book editor, and she, a uh, college professor, black woman. Um, she i want to play this clip for you and i'm going to do it through my phone because that's where we're at okay all you got is your little self and what is that what are you without racism are you any good are you still strong still smart 
You still like yourself? I mean, these are the questions. It's part of it is, yes, the victim. How terrible it's been for black yeah, people. Like that. I'm not a victim. I refuse to be one. And the victim is the other person who is morally inferior. And that's what. That's a serious question. Of course. Racism. If you have to hold, that's for his or her own self-esteem and definition. If you Stop can only be tall because somebody's on their knees, then you have a serious problem. And my feeling is, white people have a very, very serious problem. And they should start thinking about what they can do about it. Take me out of it. Goddamn right. White people, we got a serious problem. Let's address it. Let's talk about it. Here's another post I wanted to read, more so the caption. Um, James Blake, who is a musician, um, wrote something that was like, oh, that, I, I, I really, you know, because I've heard a lot of black people be saying on, on social media, like, white people, talk to your own people. I'm fucking tired and exhausted of trying to explain to white people why we struggle, what our pain is about. It, and I cannot imagine having to consistently be met with doubt over your own emotional pain, your own emotional trauma that can come with being black in this country. Oh my God, I fucking explode. Are you kidding me? I fucking explode. Where is this damn post? Here it is by James, or no, that's not it. Damn it. Okay, yeah, James Blake, he posted a photo of George Floyd holding his daughter. And this is the caption that he wrote. And I thought this was good. It was white, it was, I, I think it was a good example of white people talking to white people. This is a, um, an Instagram post that James Blake, who's a musician, he posted a photo of George Floyd holding his daughter, looking at his baby daughter. And the caption reads, I think this is a really good example of white people talking to white people. Um, George Floyd was campaigning for peace in his community. I think it's incredibly relevant to what happened to him that he was a peaceful man. We should remember how loving he was and, and dignify his memory. And we must fight for justice and for cases like his. Then we, white people, must work on our internalized racism. This murder was a direct result of centuries of reinforcement of stereotypes perpetuated by white people, presumptions made by white people, fear-mongering by white-owned media, and a horrendous streak in white people to play the victim while actually being the perpetrator. That conditioning lives to some degree in all white people, and we need to look at it. White people are not ever victims of racism. Not if people call us a Karen, not if we are called racist, not if somebody points out our privilege. Racism is inextricably linked with systematic oppressive power, and it is allowed a day off if it wants one. Black people do not have the system of law and order or the state of or corporations on their side are actively oppressed and are not given a day off from it. Find your empathy before you get offended by being called racist. Oh, hit me, James Blake. I love it. The brilliant Dr. Ibram Kendi, and if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's at I-B-R-A-M-X-K. These will all be on the resource section of my website, um, just if you need to, if you can't take notes or whatever. If you're driving, let me write that down, Ibram, because I want to make sure I actually do it. Okay. okay. The, the brilliant Dr. Ibram X... Um, encourages us to look at being told we have internalized racism as akin to being diagnosed with cancer. Nowadays, when people are diagnosed, they know there is a treatment available and that there is, in most cases, hope. Many people do not recover, or many people do recover, excuse me. I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's, this analogy is perfect. There is hope that we white people can undo our conditioning, identify our racist thoughts and assumptions and actions, and eliminate them in favor of empathy, education, in the history of oppression, an action to dismantle the system that we believe that we benefit from every single day. The first step is understanding that none of us are immune to the conditioning we received. Us white people are currently benefiting from the system that failed George Floyd. And if you are white and a fan of mine, I love you, but I need you to engage with this conversation. We need to do the work before black people ask us to. And they don't need calming white people down added to their list of problems. Well said, James Blake. I like that. And in, you know, in the spirit of white people educating themselves, I will, I'm going to read this article that I saw posted by a bunch of folks that I, uh, from Esquire magazine, um, it was published May 30th, 2020. So a couple of days ago, 
And the title is, and this will be, I'm sorry, 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 on my website. Uh, the history, a very abbreviated history of the destruction of black neighborhoods. So let's read together and let's learn together. Okay, let's read this article. Hem. He, he, he. On May 13th, 1985, police fired tear gas, water cannons, and 10,000 rounds of ammunition into 6221 Osage Avenue in West Philadelphia. Then, from a helicopter, officers dropped onto the building a satchel bomb, the kind used in World War II and Vietnam. Inside the home were seven adults and six children, members of the eco-minded black liberation group MOVE. Only two people survived. One of the five children who burned was 12-year-old little Phil Africa. Seven years earlier, his three-week-old brother was killed after being knocked out of his mother's arms and crushed during an altercation with police. After the bombing, a fire broke out that claimed 61 surrounding buildings and left 250 people homeless in the middle-class black neighborhood. The houses built to replace them were tissue paper, shoddy, and the contractors tasked with replacing them served jail time for misusing the rebuilding fund. By the mid-2010s, more than half of the rebuilt homes sat boarded up, purchased by the city for $150,000 each. From the 1920s to the 1970s, chemical companies made polychlorinated biphenyls, or PC PCBs, in Anniston, Alabama. The compounds were used as lubricants and insulators in electrical machinery. They also caused cancer and brain damage structure in humans and were banned in the U.S. in 1979. But by then, more than 800 tons of PCBs had been released into a local canal, 32,000 tons more into the city's open landfill. Within the majority, within the majority black city, black neighborhoods were hardest hit by the pollutants. Today, creeks still run red, and there are dead zones where vegetation cannot grow. Even young people contend with cancer and other illnesses. The brother of one local activist died of lung and brain cancer at just 16. In 2003, residents won a lawsuit against Mansouda worth hundreds of millions, but each of the more than 18,000 complainants only received a few thousand dollars. Adults saddled with homes they could not sell were awarded $9,000 each, while children contended with the possibility of a lifetime of intellectual disabilities and health struggles were given just $2,000. Some of the funds created a clinic to treat the still-suffering Aniston residents. It ran out of money and folded in 2017. Oh, and then later in this article, there's a um, photo of the Philadelphia neighborhood that was bombed. <laughs> and there's just a rows and rows of skeletons of homes. In 1921, white mobs descend in Tulsa, Oklahoma, prosperous Greenwood neighborhood. They murdered more than 300 black residents and burned homes, shops, and local institutions ranging from schools to movie theaters. Entire city blocks evaporated, as well as the contemporary equivalent of tens of millions of dollars in black property and wealth. 9,000 out of a total of 11,000 Greenwood residents were left homeless. After living in a black community so affluent that it had been dubbed Black Wall Street, thousands spent the following winter living in tents in an internment camp. In November 1898, a white supremacist mob stormed the majority black and racially integrated city of Wilmington, North Carolina, and burned the office of a black newspaper. They marauded through the streets, killing as many as 100 black residents. The mayhem was all part of a carefully planned effort to overthrow the local government, which included black aldermen and other officials and civil servants. It still stands as the only successful coup in American history. Black residents retreated into swamps and woods on the outskirts of the town to escape the white mob. Around 2,000 left for good, leaving the a city majority white. In 1855, New York's Seneca Village was a largely black settlement with around 225 members. The upper Manhattan community included an economic mix of people who lived in everything from shanties to two-story homes. They owned livestock and were shielded from the racism in more developed parts of the city. Some black people owned property which afforded them the right to vote. 
10 of the 100 eligible black voters in the entire state in 1845 were residents of Seneca Village. By 1857, the community was gone, its land acquired through eminent domain to create Central Park. There are anecdotes of literal physical destruction of black communities, but while the carnage can be as unmistakable as bombs falling from the sky, it more often takes the form of slower burning ravages wrought by economic starvation over policing, educational deprivation, and mass incarceration. American history is littered with the destruction of black communities. A multiracial group of protesters have taken the streets across America in the wake of George Floyd's murder, and yet they are accused of be of being black people of and yet they are accused of being black people destroying their own communities, just as black people were condemned for Watts in 1965, Chicago and other cities after Dr. Martin Luther King's murder in 1968 and Los Angeles in 1992. Aside from the horrifying way that white America seems to be more scandalized by the destruction of stores and police stations than the destruction of lives, insincerity, the insincerity of this newfound concern for black neighborhoods is obvious. It only ever seems to be activated when a black person picks up a brick. Black neighborhoods have been bulldozed and bombed, burned to the ground, and made toxic to those who live in them. If you don't care about that more than you care about a target, you don't care at all. Um, I also want to read this letter. And you, uh, please do all this research on your own too. If you don't, if you're skeptical, okay, don't ignore that. Do your research. And I understand that unfortunately the internet is a place where you can kind of get any answer you want if you look at, at the right places. But I encourage you to research multiple sources on everything I'm saying that you don't understand or that you have questions about. And let's talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, something that. I learned about him in school, but then I, you know, public education, oh, just as much as it hinders sexuality, or even more so than that, it, it, it ignores parts of history that happened, which is mm, another form of control. But if you Google the FBI letter to Dr. Martin Luther King encouraging him to commit suicide, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King was, was somebody who really, really encouraged peaceful protest. And the idea of fighting hate with hate won't work. You have to fight, come from a loving place. And that's, that's hard to contend with if, you're, if, if your pain goes so deep and you've been treated like a non-human being a lot of, a lot of your life. But... He was very pro-peace. And if here's just the Wikipedia page, which um, the FBI King suicide letter or blackmail package was an anonymous 1964 letter and package by the Federal Bureau of Investigations. The FBI, you know, pays their salary taxpayers. It was meant to blackmail Martin Luther King. Let's look at the history section. Okay, on, on November 21st, 1964, a package that contained a letter and a tape recording allegedly King's sexual indiscretions was delivered to Coretta Scott King and later to Martin Luther King Jr. Although the letter was anonymously written, Martin Luther King Jr. correctly suspected the FBI sent the package. Coretta Scott King described the tapes by saying, I couldn't make much out of it. It was just a lot of mumbo jumbo. The letter does not specifically pre uh, specify precisely what action it is urging King to undertake. King understood the letter as advocating that he commit suicide, although some have suggested that it was merely urging him to decline the Nobel Prize or step out of leadership. Those two options are also fucking bullshit. On March 8th, 1971, an activist group called Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI burglarized a local office of the FBI in Media, Pennsylvania. Hey, PA, and stole classified documents. Part of those documents revealed a secret FBI operation called Cointelpro. Let me spell that out for you. C-O-I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O. Look it up. Google it. These documents were later sent to newspapers and members of the United States Congress. During the church committee hearings and investigations in 1975... A copy of the quote suicide letter was discovered in the work files of William C. Sullivan, deputy FBI director. 
I want to remind you again that anybody who makes money in America that's not cash has to pay taxes. And part of your taxes go to pay for the salary of the FBI. It always has. And this is what the fucking government is doing. He has been suggested as its author of the letter. William C. Sullivan. Once the surveillance tapes of King were publicly revealed, Bernard Lee and the Southern uh, and the Southern Christian Leadership Co- uh, Conference sought to have tapes gained by wiretaps destroyed in a lawsuit. Their request was denied by the United States District Court for the District of Columbia Judge John Lewis Smith. He ordered all tapes sealed until the year 2027, cannot wait for that year, and be t- and placed into the National Archives and Records Administration. Since 1977, attempts have been made to release the recordings in the United States Congress. Republican Senator Jesse Helms for North Carolina in 1983 sought to reveal information about King in order to undermine the establishment of the Martin Luther King of Martin Luther King Jr. Day cunt the martin luther king jr records collection bill was introduced by congress by democratic representative cynthia mckinney from georgia in 2002 and 2005 by democratic senator john Kerry from massachusetts in 2006 and by rep democratic representative john lewis from georgia in 2010 but never passed by congress a copy of the letter is known to exist in j edgar hoover's confidential files at the national archives Woo! can't wait till 2027 So let's let's re- I'm going to read this letter that the FBI, the American government, wrote to Dr. Martin Luther King. Let's read it. Let's read it. King, in view of your low-grade, abnormal personal behavior, I will not dignify your name with either a Mister or a Reverend or or a Doctor. And your last name calls to mind only the type of king, such as King Henry, the, the, uh, can't Roman numerals, five, six, seven, eight, King Henry the eighth and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct lower than that of a beast. This is the FBI letter to Dr. Martin Luther King. Okay. King, look into your heart. You know, you are a complete fraud and a great liability to all of us Negroes. A white man um, wrote this letter from the FBI. I just have a white guy. White guy from the FBI. White people in this country have enough frauds of their own, but I am sure they don't have one at this time that is anywhere near your equal. You are no clergyman and you know it. I repeat, you are a colossal fraud and an evil Vicious one at that. Sounds like Trump wrote this. You could not believe in God and act as you do. Clearly, you don't believe in any personal moral principles. King, like all frauds, your end is approaching. You could have been our greatest leader. You, even at an early age, have turned out to be not a leader, but a dissolute, abnormal, moral imbecile. You will now have to depend, we will now, sorry, this is written in real small type. We will now have to depend on our older leaders like Wilkins, a man of character, and thank God we have others like him, but you are done. Your quote, honorary degrees, your Nobel Prize, what a grim farce, and other awards will not save you. King, I repeat, you are done. Again, a white guy who worked for the United States government sent this letter to Dr. Martin Luther King. I'm not finished. No person can overcome facts, not even a fraud like yourself. Really sounds like Trump wrote this. Lend your sexually psychotic ear to the enclosure. You will find yourself and in all your dirt, filth, and evil moronic talk exposed on record for all time. I repeat, no person can argue successfully against facts. You are finished. You will find on record for all time your filthy, dirty, evil companions, male and females, giving expression with you to your hideous abnormalities. Oh, see, Trump, yeah, it doesn't sound like Trump wrote this anymore because those are big words. And some of them to pretend to be ministers of the gospel. Satan could not do more. What incredible evilness. It is all there on record, your sexual orgies. Jealous. Listen to yourself, you filthy, abnormal animal. You are on the record. You have been on the record. All of your adulterous acts, your sexual orgies, extending far into the past. 
This one is but a tiny sample. You will understand this. Yes, from your various evil playmates on the East Coast to, and then this is blacked out, and others on the West Coast and outside the country. You are on record. King, you are done. The American public, the church organization that have been helping Protestant, Catholic, and Jews will know you for what you are, an evil, abnormal beast. So will others who have backed you. You are done. King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do. This exact number has been selected for a specific reason. It has definite practical significance. I spelled that wrong. You are done. There is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is barred to the nation. That was a letter sent to Dr. Martin Luther King by a member of the United States FBI. So if, if you are a white person right now listening and don't understand how the government and the system wasn't built at all with black people in mind, that and if that doesn't strike a fucking chord, move somewhere else. Move somewhere else. I, I, what the fuck? I remember when I learned that, I learned that a, a couple years ago. I remember I was learning that. I learned that when Freddie Gray got killed by the police. And I marched then in New York City. And, but I wanted to understand what was happening. I wanted to understand oppression more. That was really one of the first times I ever really looked into, like, okay, I, I there is something that I need to be more educated on. And when I found out that, that this letter was written by the United States government and sent to Martin Luther King, what the fuck? So would you have faith in your government if a peaceful leader of your race was encouraged by the United States government to commit suicide? In such a disgust, I mean, everything about that is disgusting. Oh, I'm really mad. Yeah, I'm really mad. Okay. So what can you do? What can we do? What can we do to help? Well, we can educate ourselves. I just, I hope that uh, if you didn't know about those two previous things, if you didn't know about the abbreviated history of the destruction of black neighborhoods, I didn't know about that. So I wanted to read that out loud. I've known about this suicide letter from the FBI for a very long time. Please, by all means, for the love of Christ, fact check me, fact check everything I'm fucking saying, please. The Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. I welcome your conversations, your edit, whatever you have. I'll talk to you. I will. I am really trying to be patient and not let my temper get the best of me and not let my ego get the best of me. And this is great practice for that. So if you're a whitey who's like, I don't get it. What do you, all lives matter? Email me. Well, let's have a conversation. If you, if I promise to listen to you, you have to promise to listen to me. Okay. Voting. Voting is another way to make your voice heard. Voting is one of the best ways to make your voice heard. The Senate is currently Republican-led. Mitch McConnell. Woo! What a fuck boy. That motherfucker can go somewhere. That's not America. Anyway, I'm really trying very hard not to um, say the things that I really, really want to say about people like Mitch McConnell and his pussy chin. And I'm going to keep that to myself as much as I fucking can because that's not gonna help me in communicating my point and see this is just me talking to me so Amy McGrath is running against Mitch McConnell if you're in Kentucky and you are over the age of 18 if you don't fucking vote in 2020 I'm gonna come to your house I'm gonna punch you in the fucking taint everyone has a taint and I'm gonna punch you in it okay 2020 you need to vote for Senate. You need to vote for Congress because, woo, that's how shit gets done. That's how you make change. If you're not happy with the leadership, I think protesting is it a beautiful, peaceful protesting is such a beautiful way to say that. But the better way to say that, the best way to say that is to fucking vote. And I repeat, I will come to your home, Kentucky, and I'll punch you in the fucking taint if I find out you didn't vote, you piece of shit. I'll punch you in the taint. So save me from that by voting. Currently, Mitch McConnell is leading the polls by 1% against Amy McGrath. Amy McGrath is a white lady named Amy who don't call the cops on black people. That's pretty sick. In fact, she's a fighter pilot. She's a former fighter pilot. Woo, Amy, you rad. Let's read 
um, a little bit from Amy's website because this is a place if you go to www.amymcgrath.com, you can donate money to her campaign to help her get the word out, to help her campaign staff spread the word that it is possible to beat Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, that motherfucker, it's been in office since 1985. And the fun, the thing about senators is they can serve, they, they serve as long as you vote them in, okay? They serve as long as you vote them in. Let's vote them out. Siri, I'm not talking to you. That was creepy. Stop chiming in on my conversations. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has been in office since 1985. For Amy McGrath, it's been long enough. The Kentucky Democrat announced on Tuesday that she is running for McConnell's seat in the 2020 election. Everything that's wrong with Washington has to start someplace, she said in a video announcing her Senate bid. Well, it started with this man who was elected a lifetime ago and who has, bit by bit, year by year, turned Washington into something we all despise, where dysfunction and chaos are political weapons, where budgets and health care and the Supreme Court are held hostage, she said, of McConnell, who has been the Republicans' leader in the Senate since 2007. So let's vote Mitch McConnell out of office, okay? And I, and I, and I, I want it to be known that us versus them is such a, such a thing in America, us versus them. And, and, the, and the illusion of... There's not enough success to go around so and power to go around. So when you get it, you hang on to it until you die. <sighs> but I support your right to vote. With the Democrat-Republican thing, both my parents are Republican. And I support their right. I fu- fucking vote. I encourage you, if you are interested in making the system different, to vote Democrat. That, that does not mean Republican people are bad at all. Okay. This is not a, Amy Penny can check my dick. That's not going to help. There are some really great Republicans. There's some great Republicans out there that are in the Senate and Congress that I like. But a lot of Republicans that are leading, like Mitch McConnell, fucking blows, dude. So let's vote in 2020, Kentucky. South Carolina, Jamie Harrison, black man running against Lindsey Graham, old white man. Now, I'm not... I'm saying their demographics for the reason that you think I'm saying them because Lindsey Graham, God damn that fucking, God, he got hit in the head at some point. Lindsey Graham. I used to think he was funny and had a really interesting, funny sense of humor. And then, then he started speaking for Trump when Trump was doing the most disgusting things. I'm like, oh, oh, you suck. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, it's a good thing I know. Jamie Harrison is running for the Senate in the 2020 race in South Carolina. If you live in South Carolina and you're fucking over the age of 18 and you don't fucking vote in 2020, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to punch you in the taint. Ugh. Let's read from Jamie Harrison's About section. And again, links to both of these candidates' campaigns if you would like to donate, contribute, or volunteer for their campaign, go door to door, make some phone calls. If you don't have the means to contribute, but you can volunteer, that's beautiful. Do it. All these links are going to be on the resource section. My website. Actually, you know what? I'm going to fuck that. I'm going to put all the links. I'm going to put all the links in the description of this podcast. That's way easier. That's way easier. I don't want to give you another task because I understand like people are lazy and I am one of those people. And if it's whatever app you're listening to this episode on, look in the description here. There will all be the links for this description for this episode. <laughs> I can talk. So let's read uh, from Jamie Harrison's website. He's running against Mitch McConnell. To Jamie Harrison, character always matters. Hard work is in his bones. Doing what's right is a way of life and making good on his debt of gratitude to South Carolina is a lifelong commitment. The son of a single teenage mom and raised by his grandparents in Orangeburg, South Carolina, Jamie overcame the challenges of grinding poverty with the help of teachers and mentors who believed in him. From a mobile home to Yale University and Georgetown Law. Yes, Jamie. Jamie never forgot where uh, who he was or where he came from. Now, Jamie is running for U.S. Senate to fight the opportunity for all South Carolinians. Ca- Caroline, Caroline, you get it. Jamie knows that when your community needs help, party labels don't matter. As a young boy, Jamie learned to read with uh, with comic books, and as soon as he was able to sound out the words, he was helping his grandparents read their bills. He didn't understand all the words he was saying, but he knew that too often they simply didn't have the money to pay them. Jamie knows what it's like for a family to live, to have to choose between paying the electric bill and putting food on the table. He remembers eating cereal with water because they couldn't afford milk. 
But thanks to a good public school education, faith, and a loving family community and community, Jamie was able to earn a scholarship to Yale University and attend Georgetown Law. Goddamn right, Jamie. After college, Jamie came back home to Orangeburg to teach at his old high school. Whoa, you fucking angel, Jamie. Then worked to help empower kids like him to go to college. Whoa, love you, Jamie. Jamie served as an aide to legendary South Carolina Congressman James Clyburn and then worked for some of the biggest employers in South Carolina, such as the Port of Charleston and the University of South Carolina. In 2013, Jamie was elected the first African-American chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party, a position he held until 2017. Jamie and his wife, Marie, live in Columbia, South Carolina, where they raise their two young children. Oh, and the photo of their family is beautiful. Now Jamie's running for U.S. Senate for the opportunity for all South Car to fight for all South Carolina Carolinians again you, you know what I'm trying to say I can't say words and I don't know what a lot of what words mean and that's okay I'm learning okay I love myself will you love me too thank you he's willing to work with anyone to do it because when a rural hospital closes or coverage for pre-existing position uh, conditions is threatened the health of all South Carolinians is put at risk these days Wall Street is doing great while middle-class South Carolinians God, he uses that word a lot and he knows, knows I can't say it like that they're just barely hanging on Jamie will fight to invest in schools and training and to end the student loan debt crisis. Jamie is running in South Carolina against Mitch, uh, against Lindsey Graham. Amy McGrath is running in Kentucky against Mitch McConnell. If you don't motherfucking vote in 2020 and you're 18 or over, I'm going to come to your house and punch you in the tank. Here's places you can donate. Let's, let's look at other places you could donate. Pick one, pick a couple, whatever you can do. You can volunteer your time. You can have conversations with your white racist relatives. That's not a fun time, but is this fun? No, it's not supposed to be fucking fun. Get a little uncomfortable. Get used to it. It's okay. It's only going to make you stronger and make the world a better place. Places you can donate. Let's see. Here's just some examples. There's so many. The Thurgood Marshall College Fund. I'm going to put the website in this description. Established in 1987, the Thurgood Marshall College Fund is the nation's largest organization exclusively representing the black college community. TMCF members' schools include the publicly supported historically black colleges and universities and predominantly black institutions. Publicly supported HBCUs enroll over 80% of all students attending HBCUs through scholarships, capacity building, and research initiatives and innovative programs and strategic partnerships. Thurgood Marshall uh, College Fund is a vital resource in the K-12 and higher education space. The organization is also a good source for top employers seeking top talent for competitive internships and jobs. Okay, Southern Poverty Law Center. Talked about that before. Talk about it again. Great place to donate. Let's look at their About Me section so you can learn a little about them. The Southern Poverty Law Center is dedicated to fighting hate and bigotry and to seeking justice for the most vulnerable members of our society. Using litigation, education, and other forms of advocacy, the Southern Poverty Law Center works towards the day when the ideals of equal justice and equal opportunity will be a reality. One last organization I would like to bring to mind is the Black Visions Collective. Link is in the description. What's the about section, you ask? Oh, I'll copy and paste it in my Google Doc. You're welcome. Here it goes. Since 2017, Black Visions Collective has been putting into practice the lessons learned from organizations before us in order to shape a political home for black people across Minnesota. We aim to work to center our work in healing and transformative justice principles, intentionally develop our organization's core DNA to ensure sustainability, and develop Minnesota's emerging black leadership to lead powerful campaigns. By building movements from the ground up with an integrated model, we are creating the conditions for long-term success and transformation. Black Visions Collective envisions a world in which all black lives matter. We use the guidance and brilliance of our ancestors as well as the teachings of our own experiences to pursue our commitment to dismantling systems of oppression and violence. We are determined in our pursuit of dignity and equity for all. And one other place that um, I would uh, I want to suggest that you donate to, an option to donate to, is um, David McCatty. I believe, I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's uh, M-C-A-T-E-E. -E. David was a long-term businessman and pillar of the Louisville community. 
He owned a barbecue business, regularly fed officers and his community for free. He fed the police for free. He was 53 years old. And he was shot and killed while he was peacefully protesting in Louisville. He was shot by the police. And his his um his body was left in the street for 12 hours and it's just i mean there's a gofundme for david and the link is going to be in this description and um i'm just going to read a little bit from the gofundme page um his friend made it for him this is David McCatty, also known as Yaya and the Barbecue Man. David McCatty was killed this morning in Louisville, Kentucky. He was a black restaurant owner in the community who was fatally shot by authorities around midnight on June 1st. As of 10.45 a.m., his body was still lying in the streets. The National Guard had been deployed in Kentucky surrounding the protests, yet McCatty's death occurred at 26th and Broadway, far, far away from any of the protesting. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir had called on law enforcement to release the body cam footage of the shooting, but of course their body cams were turned off. We should be absolutely horrified by this man's death and also by the fact that his body was left in the streets for 12 hours after the shooting. There is no goal to reach, and there is no dollar amount that will ever equal David's life, so this campaign will do everything in its power to secure as many relief funds as possible for the McCatsey family. His mother also lost a daughter earlier this year as well as doing anything you can to donate to black-led organizations focused on ending police brutality, I urge you to give what you can to this cause. 100% of the funds will be donated to the family to help funeral and memorial funds, as well as funding any legal action. The money is going to Odessa Riley, David McCatty's mother. I hope, if you are white and you're listening to this, I hope, I hope, you're outraged and I hope you're so heartbroken for for yeah I hope I hope I hope there's a fire under your fucking ass this is so disgusting the way the the system was built for white people to thrive and and it's so disgusting the way black people are treated in this country and if please just if you if you don't feel the rage and the hate and the anger over the inequality white people please do research do more research ask me email me the voices in our heads podcast at gmail.com this is such this is this is this has to get this has to end and you should be doing everything that you can to contribute to this ending in a peaceful way have conversations with each other Email me if you want. Look up shit on the internet. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And make sure you're in your own body. Make sure you at least fucking like yourself. Because if you don't like yourself, you're capable of doing really horrible things. So there's somewhere to start. Everyone around you, including you, will benefit from that. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode, guys. I will talk to you next Wednesday.
lives we chose. Yeah. Show your brain. Yeah. Those with faith. Yeah. On a mission. Led by intuition. You should listen. Because. Okay.